The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Morning. Today we'll be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. You can find it in your chair Bible on page 980. Again, that's Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18 on page 980. If you're here today and you do not have a Bible of your own, please take one of these as our gift to you. Again, we're reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18 on page 980. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The word of the Lord. I'm really happy to be with you all this morning to uh, focus on our Lord and what he's done, listen to his word. Let's pray and ask for help as we look at the word for this morning. Father, we come to you, Lord, and you know the, the pain we feel and the burdens we bear. We know what, you know what distracts us. And Lord, we pray your spirit would be with us and help us, Lord, to be focused and to hear what you have to say. And Lord, I pray you'd help me preach uh, a better sermon that I can preach in the sense that you do greater things than my words can do, that that you would speak to each person here, into our minds, into our hearts, really hit us with what you want us to hear in a way that's appropriate for our lives and our setting. God, we thank you for your word, its trustworthiness, its power, its clarity, and uh, we're excited, Lord, to hear what you have to say now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt nearly overwhelmed by the trials of your life. Uh, I wish you could stand where I'm standing and see your faces when I ask you that question. Uh, the answer is yes. Have you ever felt like the stress or the fear or anxiety was sometimes nearly too much? Or just the pain was too heavy, too hard? Have you ever had the sense that you were stuck in this moment, that you were burdened by it, you were, it, was, it was heavy on you and there was no way out? If you have felt that way or when you did feel that way, what were the circumstances that influenced that in you? What were the aspects of life that were pushing you around in that way? You know, if we all got to share the details of that, the details would be different, wouldn't they? Sometimes we'd hear a story and think, whoa, that's, that's heavier than I've ever heard before. Other times we'd hear a story and it'd be... Yeah, I, I, can, I can get that. But whatever your, your variety is, the, the pain is real in each one. The, the doubt is heavy in each one. And no matter what the details were, they, 
the experience could be reported in similar terms. Discouragement, overwhelmed, a, a sense of meaninglessness, of powerlessness. I raise those questions because we're continuing through Philippians today, and we're learning from a man who was no stranger to pain or stressful situations. If you just remember what Paul's life was like sometimes. He had leaders in his own movement pursuing him with slander. That's hard enough. It's painful enough all by itself. He had other groups of people pursuing him with murderous intent. That's a stress, quite frankly, I can't even imagine. Um, in his life, he'll be whipped several times, stoned with rocks, so he knows physical abuse and the emotional reality that comes with that, the scars he wears internally, externally. He's known extended homelessness. He's known extended cold, hunger, poverty, abandonment. And from the vantage point of this letter, he knows injustice. His freedom has been taken. He literally is chained, most likely, to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And he writes with the expectation that it's possible he could be executed. So I wonder, how does the list of things that influence your struggle compare to his? For you, mine is lighter, or for me, mine is lighter to a ridiculous degree. Please don't hear me saying that I'm minimizing your sense of suffering. I'm not in any way. What I am saying is that we can learn from this man. Because if you were ever expecting someone to have a breakdown, you'd think it would happen in this letter. They sent someone to check on him, and he sent this letter back. And you would expect that if you were ever going to hear somebody who can't function anymore, can't sleep anymore, anxious, broken, you'd find it here. If you were ever going to find someone bitter, complaining, if you were ever going to find someone who says, God, how could you? I've been your apostle. I've done nothing but serve you. And this is what I get. Prison, if you were ever going to hear anything like that, wouldn't you hear it now? And instead, Paul continually emphasizes the exact opposite. What does he have through his suffering? Joy. He has joy through his suffering. And he's not just making it through his suffering. In a way, he seems nearly glad that his suffering has happened. Wow. What is going on? Well, it, it will mess with you if you take Paul seriously about his joy. It'll mess with you. One conclusion you might have is that, well, this is just religious posturing. He's just being fake. He's making sure the offering checks come in or something. He's doing the TV evangelist things that they weren't invented yet in the same way. I don't know. Um, this is fake. But if you look at his life story, that doesn't fit the evidence. Is that, is that the evidence of Paul's life story? It's not. I, no, he really does have joy through his suffering. So if you believe that, do you believe he has joy through his suffering? Okay. If you believe that, then you begin to ask, do I have what he has? You, you continue to ask, do I understand why he has it? Do I want what he has? 
could I possibly have what he has? Well, I think the point of this passage, God's point of this passage, is that we would have more of what he has. That we would understand what he has and why he has it. And that we would grow in it. I'll be honest with you, reading and teaching Philippians is rather like looking at some huge and beautiful mountain. And I see the top of this mountain, and it's so beautiful. But I realize I am not there yet. I'm looking at it, and I can see my path to get there. But if you've ever hiked a mountain, what's the hiking like sometimes? You know, you buckle up, you do a couple, some walks. Then you stop, and you look back, and you think, look at the view. I've seen some things. I'm, I'm higher up, but then you see where you need to go. I, so I'm not talking about joy through suffering as someone who is a professional at this. I am not. I'm not talking about joy through suffering as someone who has suffered more than anyone. I have not. I have not. I'm not talking about joy through suffering as someone who anytime I suffer, I got the right perspective. I'm not. But I'm talking about joy through suffering with you as someone looking at the mountain where we're supposed to climb. And learning from the one who's climbed far higher than most of us. And who knows what joy through suffering is all about. So as we, as we work through this passage, pray that God will change our perspective. And help us embrace joy through suffering. So I have th- four, four thoughts I want to share with you as we try to work through this together. One is the challenge of joy through suffering due to our perspective. The challenge of joy through suffering due to our perspective. And then two, I want to look at the power for joy through suffering in three parts. You need, in order for you to have joy through suffering like this passage, like Paul does here, you need three things. Three things I think we see in the passage. You need a joy, you need the joy beyond this world. The joy beyond this world. You need to see the power beyond your hands. And three, you need to have the purpose beyond yourself. So we're going to look at the challenge of joy through suffering. And then three things that involve the power for it. How can I have it? You need the joy beyond this world. You need to see the power beyond your hands. And you need the purpose that is beyond yourself. So first, let's think about the challenge of perspective. Let's think about why joy through suffering is so hard for us sometimes. Well, one, it seems kind of obvious. Baseline joy is you get what you want. Yeah? I want something good. I get it. Joy. So let's talk about baseline suffering. You don't get what you want. (laughs) Or you got what you didn't want. You're like, I get that. I know. I understand. But there's more to it. It goes deeper. You and I, most of us, as far as I know, we've grown up in Western middle-class culture of today. And even though you might not share the whole worldview and ideas of that system, we're like sponges as human beings, and it soaks in a little bit. And here's two things I think that we have all been told by the culture we live in. Number one, you you have been told that your life is mainly about you. You have. And even if you say, oh, that's not true, oh, but you've, mm, did it not sink in a little bit? You've been told that your life is mainly about you. Now, our, the academic world of our culture will say there is no meaning, right? We're all just here, random, 
random accident. That's what got us here. There's no meaning. But then pop culture takes that into make your own meaning, which means you define based on how you feel and what you want, what is right and true and beautiful. You are the authority of your life, and your life is about you. You deserve it. Do what you feel. Your life's about you. That's, that bleeds into how we feel. Well, and, and what are the assumptions there behind that? Go ahead and say it with me. I deserve. Don't you? What do you deserve? A break today? You deserve. You, you feel it. Because life's about you. The irony of believing that is billions of people disagree. Because <laughs> if I think life's about me and you think life's about you, ho, oh, hey. Don't you know? You are also told that success equals an est- establishing an environment of comfort. You've been told that success equals establishing a vi- an environment of comfort. Achieve the environment, the career, the friends, the family situation that makes you comfortable, safe, and secure. Now, we all need some of those things in some way. But you've been told that that's everything. When life is all about you and success is establishing an environment of comfort, what happens when suffering hits? Because if you believe those two ideas, it makes you incredibly vulnerable to the reality of suffering. Because suffering happens. Is anyone unaware of this? (laughs) It happens. And yet, maybe we can't help it. Didn't you seem surprised when it happened to you? You know people don't always get the job they want. But I didn't get the job I wanted. Surprise. You know people get sick. But then I got sick. Suffering seems surprising. Maybe in a way we can't help it, but did you know that? It happens. All the time it's been happening since Genesis 3 everywhere. And when suffering happens, we get forced to realize that our story of reality from our culture doesn't seem like the story of our experience. Life is all about me and my comfort. Suffering hits and says, evidently not. The universe didn't agree with you. It doesn't work that way. You mean the world's not about me and my comfort? The globe missed the memo. Then, because success equals establishing this environment of comfort, we're lost in chaos. We're lost in chaos. It feels like our life is upside down, like we failed. We've missed the boat. We're in the wrong place. We feel hopeless, overwhelmed, even a sense of bitterness because of the hardship, because of this deep assumption. It wasn't ever supposed to be like this. Is that a true assumption? I want to ask you how the ideas of our culture, can you find them in yourself and your assumptions? Because the ideas of our culture, I think, make it really hard for us to have joy through suffering. In fact, it's hard for us to even see that the possibility that suffering in some ways could be good. Do you know that there are some things in the world that need suffering to thrive? Think of the human body. How many of you would like to take a nap today? 
okay? What would happen to your body if you lay absolutely still for a week? Would you feel better or worse? Infinitely worse. Because what does your body actually need? What do you do, those of you who go to the gym? Remember back in January when you went three times? <laughs> what are you doing when you go to the gym? What are you doing to the muscle? Are you like, don't move, don't, don't work, honey? Comfort for you. Or are you beating it down? Are you tearing it with stress? Why would you do that? Because your body can't thrive without some suffering. Can you think of anything else like that in the world? What about precious metals, like gold and silver? What do we do to get the gold out of the lump? We pet it. We tell it everything will be okay. No, we set it on fire. What are some of the illustrations for God's people in the scriptures? Aren't we called the body of Christ? Doesn't he refine us like gold and silver? Please don't hear me saying that we chase suffering or that we like suffering. But as Christians, what should our attitude be towards the reality of suffering? Is it, is it to get locked up, to get frozen, to be helpless, to be lost, to be in despair, to be bitter, to be angry, to give up? Or is it to, hey, let's grieve this, it's real, it hurts, and to say, there's more. There's more. What could it be? Well, this is the more. These are the three things we need to have joy through suffering as our perspective begins to change. Start to have joy through suffering. Again, I'm not saying we're masochists and we're like, suffering! No, it's joy through suffering. To have joy through suffering, you need, it starts with a joy beyond this world. Joy beyond this world. Cast your eyes over our Seven verses, Philippians 1, 12 to 18. I have here on my document a couple words in bold, and as I see it, it stands out to me. In seven verses, we have seven references to a person and the message about what he's done. Christ, Christ, Christ. Christ, the gospel, the word, the gospel, seven times in seven verses. What looms over this passage where Paul talks about his suffering? Who looms over this passage? You cannot escape his shadow. It's the person of Jesus the person of Jesus, the gospel, is the message about who he is and what he has done. Paul has joy through suffering, number one, ultimately, most deeply, because Paul has met Jesus. It's that simple. He's met 
Jesus. Do you remember what Paul was like pre-Jesus? He was notable, he was up and coming, he was successful and ambitious. He had climbed to the top of the ladder of his circle. He had the pedigree, the education, and the performance to set him apart. In his subculture group, he had achieved. He was winning. He was known. He was looked up to. In chapter 3, he will refer to all that and call it absolute trash in comparison to what it was like for him to meet Jesus. He has found a joy that goes beyond this world. Paul met the person of the resurrected Jesus. There were several massive realizations for Paul when he met Jesus. And I think they probably happened like lightning. And then he got to ponder them over the next few days and several years. But here are some. Number one, when he met Jesus, he realized he had been living for the wrong things. He had been chasing things to give him joy that were too small. They were twisted. They, corrupt, they were corrupted. Wrong things had won the allegiance of his heart, and he realized that when he met Jesus and turned from it. He also realized he had not been living for the right thing. Obviously, those two things go together. He had been living for the wrong things. He had not been living for the right thing. Have you ever asked, what are you, what are you here for? Have you asked, what am I here for? Why am I here? Is it just to chase little thrills of joy from the next meal or the next movie? What am I here for? And these are big questions, and you rem we remember the main fundamental idea of the Bible. God made you to be delighted in Him. To be like Him, to represent Him, to know Him, to fellowship with Him. He made you so that you could enjoy him as best of all, as your ultimate joy. Each one of us, though, right? Just like Paul, we've turned from that. We have turned from that. We have said no. We have said we want lesser things. We are deeply sinful and deserve God's condemnation. Can I park here just for a minute? The worst religion in the world is called good personism. It's the biggest religion in the world. And what, is good, what is the morality of good personism? Be generally nice, nicer than that person that you can't stand. Doesn't matter who it is, just nicer than that person. Be generally nice, nicer than that person that you can't stand. And then believe about yourself. Go ahead and say it. I'm a, I'm a good person. Yeah. And you know what? We can use that language in many settings and in comparison. Like, if you're my neighbor, we're talking about neighbor, or, hey, you go to church? Oh, I love that guy. He's a good guy. I'm saying in human relationships, hey, nice person, good person, fine. We can use language that way. But the question I want to ask you is, what is the standard God is going to use when you stand before him? Please don't try thee, but I'm a good person. Really. The tape will play. The tape will play, and what you've said will be heard. And you'll think, well, I've said some nice things before. Yeah, 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 but we're going to get to what you said most of the time and what you really meant from your heart. The, the, the thoughts you had in your mind will be seen. 
The law of God will be examined. Thou shalt not lie and bear false witness. You were so mad when that person gossiped about you. Have you ever gossiped? You were so mad when that person didn't love you in the way that you felt you deserved. Have you ever not loved someone in the way that they deserved? When the standard looms before us, we are not good people. I am not a good person. When Paul met Jesus, this exploded before him that all his sense of righteousness that he had built with his version of good personism melted like ice cream in the sun. And he was not a good person. And this is where the beauty of Jesus stood, stands. Stood for Paul, stands for us. Because Paul realized he had not been living for the he had been living for the wrong things, he'd not been living for the right thing, and ultimately he now had met the greatest thing, the ultimate one. God has sent his eternal son, the Lord Jesus. And he became a human man in order to be our substitute and win our salvation. I cannot stand before a holy God in my own goodness because I have none according to the standard. But I can stand before a holy God in the goodness of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life for you in your place. Isn't that good to know? If you would put your faith in him and trust him and know him, you have the record of what he's done attributed to your account. So that if you're in Christ, through faith in Christ, when God looks at you, he no longer sees or judges you based on what you've thought and said and done and felt. He rather looks at the perfection of another. He sees the perfection of Jesus for you in your place. So the pronouncement is now innocent, loved, adopted, welcomed. The beauty of Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for you. God is just, right? He's holy, he's just. He doesn't let any sin just sweep it under the rug. In his justice, he's got to pay out a payment for it. He's a good judge. What's he going to do with my sin? What's he going to do with your sin and what I deserve for it, what you deserve for it? Jesus is the substitute. Jesus paid For the sins of all who would repent and trust in him on the cross. You can know if you've met Jesus and trusted him that all your sins are paid for. Isn't that good to know? Everyone washed clean. What's the atmosphere like between you and God this morning? Is he looking at you thinking, you ever feel that way sometimes? He's looking at you, "Mm, you're not good enough. Friend, remember Jesus. Look to Jesus. If you're in Jesus, God's attitude is embrace for you, love for you. You're forgiven. You're welcomed. Jesus lived a perfect life for us, died on the cross in our place, and he rose from the dead in vindication of what he's done so that you could have the joy of knowing him. This radiates through Paul. Look at Philippians 3, verse 7. Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul says, Whatever gain I had, he's thinking of that past life, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus Jesus. 
my Lord. Paul is telling you he has joy through suffering because he has the joy beyond this world. And who is that joy? His name is Jesus. This is the secret to ultimate joy. And this is the secret to joy through suffering. If you've put your faith in Christ, have you ever heard people say, hey, joy, uh, happiness is about happy circumstances, and joy is something beyond your circumstances? Have you ever heard people talk that way before? No. Okay, good. I have. I don't like that kind of language. I've never really understood it, because it seems to make spiritual in the world of like the fantasy and physical where it's really at. Joy despite your circumstances. You've heard that one? Joy despite your circumstances. I would like to change the, the, the language on this. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, Paul's told us you're in Christ. Paul's told us you live through Christ. Paul's told us you'll never lose Christ. And here's what I want you each to, each to know. If you've pay, put your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus is your circumstance. He is your circumstance. When you're, when you're on the highest mountain of, of joy and fun, guess who you're all about right there? Guess who you, is your circumstance? Jesus. And when you're chained to a Roman soldier in the dankness of whatever room that is taking place, guess who is your circumstance? Jesus. Plug this in for yourself. Are you a Christian today? Have you turned to Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? What is your circumstance like? And you can think of all these outer things that are painful, and they are, and that are hard, and they are. But where do you, where do you live? Where is your home? Who are you in? What is your circumstance right now in, in whatever detail you're facing? Who is your circumstance? Jesus. Always with you. Always for you. Jesus. He is your circumstance. Which is why Paul can say these crazy words in Philippians 4.4. 4. They're crazy. The craziest word is probably always. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. And then you immediately think, I can't. Why can't you rejoice always? Uh, job, relationships, the world, the way I feel, etc. Long list. I can't. Oh, but we're missing a phrase. Rejoice where? In the Lord. When? Always. Because if you have Jesus, when do you have Jesus? Always. Where do you have Jesus? Everywhere. How long will you have Jesus? Forever. He is your circumstance. He is the joy beyond this world. And friend, the joy endures every good thing we have we're tempted to love too much right i love seeing garage sales not because i like to shop them i hate shopping but i love seeing garage sales because i like remembering when those things were shiny new and expensive you ever seen a whole pile of huh? you kind of just want to light it on fire <laughs> it used to be somebody's dream this is the next thing if I just had this for this, yes. Garage sale. Just give it some time. 
Every joy in this world is like that. Every joy in this world is like that. Your money will either leave you behind or you will leave your money behind. Painfully, right? It's bittersweet. Painfully, every relationship is like this in this world. They will either leave you behind or you will leave them behind. I'm not demeaning the grief here. We felt it. We know it. We should grieve it. We should. But you can see what's happening. If you put your ultimate joy on something in this world, what will come to you inevitably? Despair. Despair. To have joy through suffering, you must have the joy beyond this world. Who is it, church? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That by far is the most important point. To have joy through suffering, you've got to have the joy beyond this world. You've got to trust yourself to Jesus. To have joy through suffering, I think we also need to see the power beyond our hands. You need to see the power beyond your hands. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served. Stop. Really served. You know, when Paul was arrested this early in the life of the church, it really would have seemed devastating. How, how big was the Christian movement at this point? How, 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 how many cultures and nations has, had it influenced? And to lose this great leader to prison and possible execution, how would it have felt? This is a danger of being over. This is devastating. We've lost one of our major leaders. We've lost the one who keeps us safe, who tells us the truth. He's in prison. The, en- the, the enemy is winning. We're, we're losing. We're vulnerable. It would have seemed devastating. From a big, point, big picture point of view and an individual perspective, did Paul want to go to Rome? He certainly did. Did he want to go chained to a Roman soldier? No. That's no one's dream. Did he want to be, have his freedom taken away? Did he want to be constricted in where he had to stay and live and do his work? No. Did he draw any of this up? No. Is it going the way he wanted? No. Do you have things like that in your life? The place where you are family-wise, work-wise, health-wise, relationship-wise is not where you wanted to be. It's not the way you drew it up. And so we think, ah, it's over. It's lost. It's chaos. It's ruined. And Paul says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served. What you thought was chaos and loss because it was suffering had something so much deeper and greater going on. And to have joy through suffering, you need to see that. You've got to see that. For Paul, he's telling you that his circumstance, which seemed out of control, they've arrested the apostle, was really under complete control. There were hands that were stronger than his, directing every moment. 
There were hands bigger and deeper working for good. He's saying God is in control of the situation for good. Even though it seemed like chaos, even though it seemed like loss, even though it seemed like devastation, God was in control of the moment for good. Can you see the hands greater than your own in your story, in your situation? Wouldn't you agree, friends, that so much of our anxiety and bitterness and stress comes from not seeing the really served of our moment? When you are in your painful, stressful, devastating moment, we get the sense, I'm in the wrong place somehow. Everything took a wrong turn. It didn't work out the way it was supposed to go. It's chaos. It's failure. We not only sense we're in the wrong place, but we sense the weakness and failure of our own hands. I'm in a mess, and the only one here to save me is me. I'm lost, and the only help I'm going to find is right here. Have you ever felt that way before? The last time you were anxious, that's how you felt. Anxiety, friends, is practical atheism. There's no God. He's not here. He won't help. I'm in a mess, and it's up to me. What a horrible, horrible, horrible feeling. And we've each tasted that. We've each known that. But Christians, isn't it true? There are hands beyond your hands in every circumstance you will ever face. Is that true? There is a strength beyond your strength in every circumstance of your life. There's a wisdom beyond your wisdom going on in every even piece of pain you experience. Have any of you ever had to face pain in order even to become a Christian? Your life was going just fine. Hey, you had it. Party, joy, fun, okay. And then something had to crash for you to go and wake up. And you look back and you realize, without pain, I don't think I'd be saved. Have any of you seen, after a long road of pain, what God perhaps did in your character? Compassion, humility, gentleness, kindness. You know, for some reason, it doesn't help us grow our character to always win every game and every lottery. Wouldn't you love to grow in sanctification by nothing but success? The problem is we're sinful people, and the only thing that would grow exponentially is your pride. I know that personally. God works not just to save you th- from hard situations. He always works to save you in and through hard situations. And when you, when you, were, when you were totally distressed and when you were anxious and when you discouraged, you forgot the greater hands. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Praise God, living hope. We continue. This is kept in heaven for you. Now pay attention, verse 5. 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Don't you love that? God is guarding you, and what is the tool he's using to keep you for himself? Your faith. Your faith is God's tool to keep you, trusting in him. You're being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for how long? For a little while, and then what's the next phrase? If you don't want to say it, do you? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We almost don't even want to go here. Is Peter saying that in some way, perhaps, your trials, which grieved you, Peter doesn't say they don't grieve you, oh, they grieve, that your trials, which grieved you, were, what was that word? Necessary. What? My whole sense of suffering is that this wasn't necessary. You've caused me pain I did not deserve and I did not want and I did not need. Get this unnecessary pain and suffering out of my life. What is the word saying? If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why, church? Verse 7. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The most precious thing about you to God is your faith, your trust in him. He guards you through it, and he is going to turn that faith into gold. Beautiful, your love, your trust in Jesus. And what's he going to use sometimes to do that? trials which means we have a choice here as we think about the hands beyond our own god has just told us though it's hard to hear that sometimes he is going to use trials of various details and in various measure in our life to do what to refine your faith in him your love for him your trust in him he's going to do it he has told us that which means when suffering comes even though we think ah no please and we pray for relief from it that's great go do that that's biblical and we grieve it that's fine go do that there's another piece to it what do you need to see in your suffering if you're paying attention god's at work why for your good because he loves you if you can see that and believe that, that will in increase your joy through suffering. If you reject that and deny that, then you'll be going against the grain of what God may be doing in your life. And when we wrestle with God, do you know who tends to win? He does. To have joy through suffering, you've got to have the joy that goes beyond this world, the person of Jesus and what he's done for you. You've also got to see the hands that reach beyond your own, the reality that God is working in this for your good and his glory. Last thing you need to see, you need a purpose bigger than yourself. That's the main idea of these verses. 
Look at verses 12 to 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And I told you before, most likely, Paul is is probably under house arrest, chained 24-7 to a Roman soldier. The chains may be about this long or so, and they come in shifts of six hours. And it doesn't stop. Always chained to a Roman soldier. Now go ahead and ponder that for a moment. How would you enjoy that experience? Hmm. A Roman soldier. Of course, these men are always couth, sensitive, tactful, gentle, kind, because they're Roman soldiers after all. Oh, but imagine the church one day praying in a prayer meeting. God, we just pray. We pray for Caesar's household. Lord, we pray that the people up there in the high realms of government could somehow hear about Jesus. And then somebody really bold, everybody's eyes opened when they prayed. God, we pray for the Roman soldiers too. Whoa, what? Yeah, Jesus came to save sinners. Oh, okay. God, we pray for Roman soldiers too. We just ask you that somehow they would hear the message of Jesus. Now, luckily, every Roman soldier had an iPhone with you know, John Piper podcasts, right? So no big deal. They can just hear the gospel, except they can't because there are no podcasts. How are they going to hear the gospel? What do you do? Go knock on the... How does it get there? God, we pray you'd save them. You know, we imagine Paul being chained to a Roman soldier, but now imagine being a Roman soldier chained to Paul. Bro, your sermon is too long. Oh, that's too bad, because we're chained together. <laughs> I have five more hours. And every six hours, a new one comes, and they see Paul's character and how he endures their unkindness. And, he, and they, they see how Paul's relationships work and how these gentle people come who love him and they bring him the resources they need. And they see how he relates to this community that he loves. And of course, they probably have some conversations too. It's where Paul can use these big words. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Everyone in this entire human subculture now knows Paul's not just a common criminal. He's here because he loves and preaches the person of Jesus. And Paul says, I didn't want to go to prison, but this is genius. This is genius. They've all heard the gospel. You know, there's this nugget at the end of the letter, Philippians 4.21. Look at what Paul throws at everybody. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Because Paul went to jail for Jesus under Rome's authority, Roman leaders are converting and trusting Jesus. How does Paul feel about this? Is he crying because he really misses his evening ice cream? How does he feel about it? He's thrilled. Would he rather have the spread of the gospel than his own freedom? Yes. Why does Paul have a joy through suffering? Because he has a purpose greater than himself. 
is a purpose greater than himself. Friends, if you buy the modern world's hooks that your life is about you, you'll never have joy through suffering. It's not possible. But if you meet Jesus and you see something greater than you, and you love that about him, then the chance for your suffering to point to him will give you joy. Even though you hate the suffering, the opportunity the suffering brings will give you joy. Paul said earlier, my suffering helps me confirm the gospel. Do you know what that means? It says the fact that Paul's willing to suffer for Jesus shows that Jesus is the greatest joy. Which means when you suffer and someone hears about it, you can now say, even though my heart is broken over this, I'm hurting over this, this is making me afraid, you then say, but I have Jesus, and I'm good. And people listening to you go, hmm. They're not impressed when Christians have a bunch of money and a bunch of comfort and then say, praise Jesus. That's, and then they just say, oh, Jesus can get me what I really want, money and comfort? Yeah, I like money and comfort. So do you. It's okay. It's a gift from God. But when those things get knocked away, and then you say, Jesus is enough for me, that's when people think, hmm. If you have a purpose greater than yourself, you can have joy through suffering. Paul also mentions another joy. The brothers have become more confident. Verse 14, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's happened here? Paul spoke the word without fear. And what, what happened? He went, to, he went to prison and God's using this moment. And then others who would have been more afraid, probably me, see Paul's example and what does it stir up in them? I can do this too in some way. It's worth it. Friends, if, if Paul knew, I guess maybe he does, that we're preaching this letter and as you heard his joy in Christ and the sovereignty of God working in his life and, and what we can do through our suffering, and, you go, and if your thinking goes differently and you says, you know what, even though I'm grieving my suffering, I'm going to praise God in it and I want to use it to glorify Jesus to others. You know what Paul would say even right now? Worth it. Worth it. Because he has a purpose greater than himself. He even takes more joy in the proclamation of Jesus than he does in his own recognition. Look at these last few verses, 15 to 17. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm putting here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. We can get the, the first idea, right? Some preach Christ from goodwill and love. They, they, they love Paul as their apostle. They love the gospel. They're preaching it. We get that. But is he saying that others are preaching the real message of Jesus with terrible motives? Is that what he's saying? It is what he's saying. If you think Paul would allow a flawed teaching of the gospel, read Galatians. He won't be happy at all. He'll call that mess out. These are people who are speaking the true message with evil motives, selfish ambition. Do you think that's possible, to preach the true message with evil motives? Oh, it's absolutely possible. They want to afflict Paul. 
And so, hey, while he's in prison, I can build my ministry better. I can get my accolades to grow. I can get my group to grow. I can get my name to get higher. I can be seen as bold and powerful by other people in my group by preaching this message. You absolutely can preach the true message with the wrong motive. Have you ever seen evangelism that was more about the sound of the speaker than the salvation of the listener? Yes. We could go on and on on that, but we won't. All I know is these are people who knew Paul. Maybe Paul had even trained some of them. They're a part of the same mission, speaking the same message, and their underlying motive is to slander him and to cut him and to demean him and to pass him up. How would that feel to you? How would that feel to you? Hurt, be devastating. Look what Paul says in verse 18. It's basically like this. Whatever. Whatever. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, what? Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. He loves the proclamation of Christ more than he loves his own legacy and recognition. If his ultimate joy was what other leaders thought about him and how other people mentioned his name, this would be another thing yet to crush him and steal his joy. But he has a purpose greater than himself because he has a joy that goes beyond this world, because he knows of hands that reach beyond his hands, because his purpose is the proclamation of Jesus. It's not himself. And he has joy through suffering. I hope you have something for your own perspective on suffering from this. I hope you're asking yourself what your attitude is towards your suffering. And have you, do you know, have you found the joy that's beyond this world? Is your joy the person of Jesus? Have you turned from your sin and trusted in him? Do you know the joy of having him as your Lord and King and Savior? Are you aware of the arms of God around your situation that no matter how awful it is, he's still in control and he's still king and he's still working for your good? We don't know what the details will be exactly, but he's there and he loves you. Your circumstance is Christ. And you have a purpose bigger than yourself that you could use the hurt here in the weakness to promote Christ to a watching world. If you have those things, you'll be able to grow enjoy through suffering let's pray heavenly father we pray that we would have these things our suffering is painful and hard and deep and it stings and it hurts but jesus you are no stranger to pain and no stranger to suffering and you did it to save us give us joy in you lord give us trust in your word that you are with us and working for our good and give us a passion, Lord, to use whatever suffering we have or are in to show people the greatest joy of all, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.